my life. I was born and raised in a Christian home. I was fortunate that God put me into a home where my my, uh, parents loved God. Uh, I was raised in the Conservative Baptist Church to where we valued two things above all others. Number one, Jesus Christ is God, the only means for salvation. And two, the, the Bible. The written word of God is an authoritative, specific word to you and that you always need to align your, your thoughts and your life to submit to that authority of the written word. And so those were two things that were impacted for me from a very um, young age. At the age of five, I gave my life to Christ. I had a real defining moment between my seventh and eighth grade year where God just grabbed hold of my heart and at that point started calling me towards ministry. And so I was a student of the word. Um, it was unusual as, um, uh, as a, a young man, a middle schooler, that I was really drawn to theology, loved theology, thought that was exciting. And so as I even started that, I basically um, wanted to continue that on. As, as, even as a high schooler, I was into the word a lot. I remember um, one of the class offerings at Centennial High School at the time was Bible is Literature, taught by an atheist. That was too much for me not to grab hold of. I wanted, I wanted that class. And so had a fun time in the class. Um, neither the teacher or I persuaded the other. But I do think we had some good discussions, and even the, some of the students in the class, I think, were helped. In fact, they know at least one or two that later on started coming to church and later you know, gave their life to Christ um, as God continued to work in their lives. But with that, I considered myself a scholar even at a younger age and continued um, to learn on that. And as Paul said, if, I, if there's any reason to boast and stuff, I might have some. And so, for me, circumcised on the first day of the conservative Baptists of the tribe of Betchers, a Gentile of Gentiles, in regard to the law, a violator. As for zeal, dogmatic conservative Baptist. As for legalistic righteousness, self-righteous. In jest, I say these things. But my point was, just like Paul, all these things you might have to boast, they're all rubbish when you really understand who Jesus is. And not only that, but his love, his all-consuming love for us and what it took to make himself known. You asked me, what was that transformation in my life? What was it so much? And I remember within that first semester, Multnomah School of the Bible, during my undergrad work, I really loved theology, so of course I wanted to learn languages. And so part of me was in the languages, that was in the arts. Part of me was being practical, so the, of the sciences and youth ministry. So I actually took dual tracks through it all, just because I wanted both. But I didn't want to sacrifice my love for the, for the languages. And when I learned really early on, even though I'd heard it as a younger man, I never realized the best-kept secret by the evangelical church. That secret is God's name is Yahweh. You might say, well, okay. How'd that transform your life? How did that make such a big difference to you? Let me uh, walk you through a process to see if you might understand how that might work. Before I go too much on to this any further, though, 
Um, all of your modern translations in the preface, the part of the, you know, the, the books we never read, in the preface, you will have, and all the modern translations I've ever seen, they all have in the preface, how are they going to deal with the tetragrammaton? Sounds like a big word, huh? All the tetragrammaton means, it simply means the four letters. How are we going to deal with the four letters that, that constitute God's name? And the way that almost all of your English Bibles do it is whenever they get to the Tetragrammaton, they go with a capital L and then a lowercase capital O, capital R, capital D to let you know that's God's name. They do that in order to not confuse with the regular Lord, just L-O-R-D. Because the regular Lord, what Lord simply means, it simply means the best translation is simply master or ruler. Okay, that's what Lord means. David, King David, was known as a Lord. If you go over into the UK, um, that's actually a title for some of them. You can actually be a Lord, you know, or a Baron, or whatever, a Duke. So, a Lord is simply a title. So, the Bible's been very careful that whenever you come to that God's name, is they let you know. The problem is, is I see a lot of people, and even sometimes, you know, these murals and stuff, and they'll try to, you know, do Scripture... They don't realize that's that special. You know, you have to actually separate those out. And it's kind of silly that we even have to. Okay? So I'm going to kind of explain to you what's going on and what the process is and how did it become such a huge secret for so many generations. Can I see this one? At the very beginning, in Genesis, God created the heavens and the earth. And as God created all the heavens and earth, um, remember that Adam and Eve sinned. They decided that out of all the trees in the garden they could eat from, in the center were two specific trees, one the tree of life, one the tree of good and evil. And even though they could eat from everything, it just kept bugging them, and you know that knowledge of good and evil one, right? So they get kicked out of the garden, and now they're in rebellion, now they're in sin, and the consequence of sin. And God hasn't just forsaken them. He is still continuing to work with them, but they can no longer come into the garden and eat from the tree of life and live forever in their sinful state. And so they have children. Cain and Abel have a little issue, have some brother issues, and ends up, Cain ends up killing Abel. And then Seth is actually born as another male child to Eve. And at the end of chapter 4, it says, Seth also had a son, and he named him Enosh. And at that time people began to call on the name of Yahweh. See the capital L-O-R-D? That's Yahweh. Men began. So many people seem to think, well, God wasn't really known. Yahweh wasn't really known until Abram, until those times later on. But no, actually at this very earlier time, men began to call on the name Yahweh. They knew Yahweh. And so Yahweh is from the very beginning, is how he's been known. Second the second one, um, I apologize that the, uh, the, the passages aren't shown here as far as where they come from, but the second one is actually from Exodus chapter 3. Okay, and this is Moses. Moses now is in the time period where the nation Israel has already been established through Abram, and then of his, his son Isaac, and then next to Jacob and the tribes. It's during that time of Jacob, where also known his name was Israel. During the time of Israel is that Again, you have some brothers conflicting, and they end up 
um, having the issues with Joseph. And Joseph finds himself all of a sudden in captivity in Egypt. And he finally, by God's sovereignty, brought to a position to where he is second in command, ruling all of Egypt. And it's through Joseph that he's able to bring his father Israel and all of his other brothers, the tribes of Israel, down into Egypt so they might be saved from the plague and the famine that encompassed the known world. They were saved through Joseph into Egypt. In Egypt, they were given some of the best land, some of the best area. They'd grown. Over the period of 400 years, there finally became a new pharaoh who didn't know Joseph and didn't care what Joseph had done, that Joseph had saved all the Egyptians and saved all these people. He didn't care about that. All he cared about was there was this big horde of people, possibly a million strong or so, that are in this land, and they're prospering. They're huge. If all of a sudden they get mad at us and decide to take over, how can we stop them? So there started to be big persecution against the Hebrews, against the Israelites. And they started subjecting them to slavery, taking away their possessions. And they lived in a terrible period for a total of 400 years from the time of when they actually came down there through Joseph. It's during this period that God now has raised up a new deliverer, Moses, a child who was supposed to be killed at birth, right after birth, and wasn't, was hidden away. One that was actually adopted by Pharaoh's own daughter, so raised within the palace of the Pharaoh. This same man is the one that God's going to use now to bring his people up out of slavery. In Exodus, Moses said to God, Suppose I go to the Israelites and say to them, The God of your fathers has sent me to you. And they ask me, What's his name? And what shall I tell them? God said to Moses, I am who I am. This is what you are to say to the Israelites. I am has sent me to you. God also said to Moses, Say to the Israelites, Yahweh, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob, has sent me to you. This is my name forever. The name you should call me from generation to generation. Anyone else? Does that strike, strike them as different? Am I not stop part of those generation to generation? Yahweh, the name I'm supposed to be known? Why have I never heard of it? Why did I make it all the way into my teens before I even heard the name Yahweh? Why isn't I have to get into actually, you know, Bible school before I get to learn God's name Yahweh? Third one. This is from um, also Exodus, in chapter 33. Yahweh says to Moses, I will do the very thing you have asked, because I am pleased with you and know you by name. Moses said, Now show me your glory. Yahweh said, I will cause my goodness to pass in front of you, 
I will proclaim my name, Yahweh, in your presence. I will have mercy on whom I will have mercy, and I will have compassion on whom I will have compassion. But he said, you cannot see my face, for no one may see me and live. This was where Moses was begging, show me, show me yourself. And he got to see the back. He got to see the glory of Yahweh. Proclaiming his name, Yahweh. Hmm. So what happened? Where did we get? These are pretty clear passages. It's a pretty clear understanding. What happened? What happened from that time in the desert, God's given all the stuff, to now. Let me read to you what God spoke to Moses on the mount. This is from Exodus chapter 20. God spoke all these words. I am Yahweh your God, who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. One. You should not make for yourself an idol in the form of anything in heaven above or on earth beneath or the waters below. You should not bow down to them or worship them. For I, Yahweh your God, am a jealous God, punishing the children for the sin of the fathers to the third and fourth generation of those who hate me, but showing love to thousands who love me and keep my commandments. Two. You should not misuse the name of Yahweh your God, for Yahweh will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Remember the Sabbath day by keeping it holy. Six days you are to labor and do your work. On the seventh day is the Sabbath to Yahweh your God. On it you shall not do any work. Neither you, nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your manservant or maidservant, nor your animals, nor the alien within your gates. For in six days Yahweh created the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them. But he rested on the seventh day. Therefore Yahweh blessed the Sabbath day and made it holy. Honor your father and mother, so that you may live long in the land Yahweh your God is giving you. Do not murder. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not give false testimony against your neighbor. You should not covet your neighbor's house, nor you covet your neighbor's wife, or his manservant or maidservant, his ox or donkey, or anything that belongs to your neighbor. When the people saw the thunder and lightning, heard the trumpet and saw the mountain and smoke, They trembled with fear. They said to Moses, Speak to us yourself, and we will listen. But do not have God speak to us, or we will die. Moses said to the people, Do not be afraid. God has come to test you. So the fear of God will be with you to keep you from sinning. The people remained at the distance while Moses approached the thick darkness where God was. We know those as the Ten Commandments, the Decalogue. All the other, there's many other laws besides those, but many of the laws, especially the, um, the non-ceremonial laws, the laws of obedience, come from those in one way or another. The laws are easy to try to put into little, little areas. Do you remember Jesus when he was teaching his disciples? We call it the Sermon on the Mount. And he's saying, you've heard it said, 
do not commit adultery. But I've told you, anyone who looks at a woman lustfully has already committed adultery in his heart with her. We always try to make things so simplicated. And that's what they did with the Decalogue, the Ten Commandments. They try to make it into these little areas. If you notice here, the Second Commandment, do not have any, any images, any idols. We don't have you know, images of, the, of Mary or the apostles or anything like that in here. You know, evangelicals do a pretty good job of not having those kind of icons on our stages and everything there. But it's even much bigger than that. Do you know why God prohibited not to have any other idols or images? The answer is pretty easy. Go back to Genesis chapter 1. Whose image were humans created in? Both male and female. Of all the creatures God's created, only us, only humans are created in his image. We are the image of God. Humans. Not angels. Not other beings. Humans. Why is it so important that we have no other graven images, no other worship, anything else? It's because we represent God to the world. More specifically, through Abram, the Jews, the Hebrews, they are God's physical representation. They make God visible to the world. That's why you have no other images, because you're the image. The third one They've done just as much silly things with. Do not misuse the name Yahweh. But God will not hold anyone guiltless who misuses his name. Can I see number five? This is in Leviticus. This is the time now. Now, this, they're still in the desert. Now, the son of an Israelite mother... And an Egyptian father went out among the Israelites, and a fight broke out in the camp between him and an Israelite. The son of the Israelite woman blasphemed the name with a curse. So they brought him to Moses. His mother's name was Semelith, the daughter of Debri, the Danite. They put him in custody, and the will of Yahweh would be made clear to them. Yahweh said to Moses, Take the blasphemer outside the camp. All those who heard him are to lay hands on his head. The entire assembly is to stone him. Say to the Israelites, Anyone who curses their God will be held responsible. Anyone who blasphemes the name of Yahweh must be put to death. The entire assembly must stone him. Whether an alien or native born, when, the blaspheme, when he blasphemes the name, he must be put to death. Do you think God didn't mean what he was saying? Anyone who misuses my name won't be held guiltless? So, presumably in a fit of rage, blasphemy is the name and they're to stone him. So do you think God takes seriously his name? Absolutely. It's part of the Ten Commandments, part of the Decalogue. But more importantly, the penalty for it is severe.
so severe that here's how they finally dealt with it. What you have in front of you is Hebrew. Hebrew, unlike English, is written and read right to left, not left to right. So if you ever see Hebrew, you always start on the far, far right. So the very first letter there on the far right-hand side, that's simply a Hebrew yod. It's equivalent to our Y. The next letter is a He, equivalent to our H. The third is a Vav, equivalent to our, to our um, W. And then, of course, the um, last one is a He again. So YHWH. Remember I talked about the tetragrammaton, the four letters? That's the four letters. After this incident with this blasphemer, and through the next generations, they realized how severe the penalty was for blaspheming and misusing the name Yahweh. I grew up learning the commandment of do not take God's name in vain simply as meant do not swear. Do never say the word God. And I can't even say I can't even reprogram my mind, but the thing holds water back. Those things that hold water back, it. So, I can't even say it, but I was always told that's what it meant to blaspheme God's name, Don't use his name in vain. If only it was so simple. If only it was just that easy, that simple. It's so much greater than that. But still, I didn't even understand that really, how it really meant. The Israelites took it to such a degree that the scribes, when they came to God's name, Yahweh, they actually made it impossible. The Masoretes, during the time of captivity, okay, after the time of, you know, where they actually asked for a king, you know, Samuel says, you don't want a king, they got a king, they had their kings. After that, they kept disobeying God, and the ten and a half tribes in the north, Israel, were finally defeated, taken into captivity. And then, Later on, the southern tribes, Judah, got taken into captivity. So now, all of Israel is taken in captivity, okay, into Babylon, Assyria. And so their language dies. They're no longer speaking Hebrew. Well, when they start coming back, we, we talked about Nehemiah last week and the building of the walls and Ezra and the building of the temple and, and bringing things back and starting to bring back out the scrolls, they realized, we don't know how to pronounce these words or anything. We, we are, our language is dead. So the Masoretes came up with what's called a vowel pointing system. And they actually added vowel pointing because Hebrew is written with all consonants, no vowels. It's like visiting Iceland. Okay? It's like all, all, all these letters, these consonants together with no, with no vowels. And so they actually started putting vowels in it. But when they came to Yahweh's name, they added vowel pointing that makes that word impossible to pronounce. So, when you come to that, you can't see it, they substituted. They don't want to say the name Yahweh, because if I say the name Yahweh, therefore I can misuse it. So I don't say the name Yahweh, I can never somehow, you know, use it wrong. So instead, when I see that tetragrammaton, I see Yahweh's name, instead I'm going to say Adonai, which simply means Lord. And that's actually the way the Bible started being transcribed. A Hebrew, whenever he saw that, he knew, I see that. But I'm going to say Adonai. I'm not going to say Yahweh, because I don't want to misuse God's name.
That's been the practice even to today in a lot of your Bible schools and seminaries and stuff. And by that time, it already transformed me enough that I remember in my very first week of Hebrew class and uh, of Hebrew reading, we started reading that, and I kind of says, took my hand up and go, why are we saying Adonai? And the instructor says, well, it's because that, that's the proper name. You say Adonai. You see Yahweh, we say Adonai because we don't want to offend anybody. And I kind of thought, okay, well, offending God, or offending the Jew isn't my primary concern. The second, aren't we evangelical seminary? And third, doesn't God's name want to be said? And the instructor is very gracious and says, you know what, yeah, from now on, we'll, we'll say Yahweh, we see that. And that became the new practice, that we say Yahweh. So, unpronounceable, you can see it. What's happened, though, is it's not carried down very well. So people, when you start reading, you know, the Bibles, we want to start having some other kind of way to say things. And so because they didn't know how to say this word, they first made it impossible to pronounce. Later on, they wanted to say, hey, how do we say it now? Well, they didn't know, so they kind of said, well, let's make something up. So what they did is on the, on the left-hand side, you see Yahweh. We've already seen that. On the right-hand side is Adonai, Lord. What they did is they took the vowels from Adonai and placed it into the four letters, the Tetragrammaton. And therefore, they came up with a new word, Yahovah. Okay? Yahovah. What does it sound like? Jehovah, right? So this is the word. It's a made-up word. You'll see it nowhere. You'll see it in King James. You'll see it in some of your older Bibles. You'll see the word Jehovah. But it's a made-up word. It's Yahweh with the vowels of Adonai. Because they want to be able to say a word for it. I didn't realize until more recently, I was doing some more studying, that the very first King James Bible that came out, I think it was like in 1517, right around that time, first came out, Actually, it didn't have Jehovah, nor did it even have Jesus. I didn't realize that, that the letter J was the very last English letter to be, to be accepted into um, the alphabet. And J, basically a J was always an, uh, it was an ending mark. Like in uh, Greek, Greek you have an S, a sigma, that in the middle of a word, it looks one way. At the end of the word, it looks like one of our modern day S's. But that sigma changes if it's at the very end. That's what a J was actually originally used for, especially like in Roman numerals. It was actually used for the last I. So if you had the Roman numeral 8, you had a V, I, I, I. Actually, it was V, I, I, J, J denoting it's the last I. That's actually how it was originally used. When it was actually brought in as a vowel sound into the English language, J became to... Um, um, a new, a new sound, a new, a new word to say for Jah. And so that's where Jesus and Jehovah, but the earliest ones didn't even have Jesus. They had Jesus and Yahovah. Now it's Jehovah because of the J coming into the English language. So that's kind of how things brought in later. That's where you get the word Jehovah, made up word. But at least they're trying to say something, you know, where they're actually taking God's name somewhat seriously. They find out later it should, it should be Yahweh, so it's easy. The name Yahweh appears nearly 7,000 times in the Old Testament. 
Do you think that might be a clue of the importance to God of knowing his name? David, the man after God's own heart. This actually is still in the time of, um, of Exodus. In Deuteronomy, towards the end of his life, God says, Then all the peoples on earth will see that you are called by the name of Yahweh, and they will fear you. Moses realizes his time almost gone. Joshua, Yahweh saves. That's what Joshua means. Yeshua saves Joshua. At this time, Moses says, all the people are going to know that you're from the name Yahweh. And where earlier on you feared, now they're going to fear because you're known as Yahweh followers. Yahweh-ite sounds weird, so I'm not going to say that. But you're from Yahweh. We are known as Christians. We were given that term by... um, Pretty much people didn't like us at first. And the name Christian simply means Christos, Christ, which is the Greek equivalent of the Hebrew Messiah, the coming one. That's all we are. We're Christians. Okay? More importantly, we can be more accurately known as Yahweh followers. That would be far more accurate than Messiah followers. We'd be saying Yahweh followers. And one more time. So it says here in um, 1 King, it says, When the queen of Sheba heard about the fame of Solomon in his relation to the name of Yahweh, she came to test him with hard questions. This was when Israel is at its peak, its zenith, is during the time of Solomon. So here they, they rule in the, 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 the Israeli kingdom is bigger than its borders as far as there have been. And Sheba came because of Solomon's relation with the name Yahweh. So now it's starting to be known throughout all the world. Yahweh followers, the Hebrews. So much so that David, David, this is during the battle. This is the one with David and Goliath. We've all heard the different story. But you've got to realize, David is a young man. He's too young to even serve in the armies yet. He's actually coming to bring his older brothers goodies from home. And as he's there, he'd already been there once earlier, and he kept hearing this big, huge man, Goliath is like nine foot six inches, make Shaq look like a midget. Okay? So here's this big, huge man coming and defiling the name Yahweh over and over. David has seen it in his first visit. He comes back to the second visit, and he just can't take it anymore. He finally comes out and um, gets rid of the army that, you know, that they want to give him because he wants to be by his regular self. He says to the Philistine, You come against me with sword and spear and javelin. I come to you in the name of Yahweh Sabaoth, the God of the armies of Israel, whom you have defied. This day, Yahweh will deliver you into my hands. I will strike you down and cut off your head. 
This very day I will give the carcasses of the Philistine army to the birds and the wild animals. The whole world will know there is a God in Israel. All those gathered here will know it is not by sword or spear that Yahweh saves. For the battle is Yahweh's, and he will give all of you into our hands. And guess what happened following that? You know the rest of the story. David understood the power of the name, the power of this God who made them and brought him in. You might ask me, what does Yahweh really mean? Other than to simply know the I am who I am. The best definition I've ever had of that, heard from any professor, from any scholar, is probably Dr. Ron Allen. He used to be a professor at um, Western uh, Conservative Baptist Theological Seminary in Portland for the last 20-some years. He's been at Dallas Theological Seminary, Dallas, Texas. Here's what he said. We're very, very careful in languages is that we want to make sure you know, we are very precise. In languages, basically, you don't have one meaning. But he says the word Yahweh seems to have kind of a twofold meaning. It's both a present and a future. And it's an exception of other, of other words only because it's an exceptional word. And here's the best definition I've heard from him. He says Yahweh means everything I am, I will be to you. So it's not just a statement of who he is, but it's a promise of his goodness, his compassion, his slow to anger. That is who we are grafted in to. Yahweh. Everything I am, I will be to you. David's favorite word, the one he used more than any of the times, it's used nearly 300 times in the Psalms and a little bit outside the Psalms as well. So when you see God Almighty in your Bibles, in Genesis, it simply means El Shaddai. In the rest of the Bible, Lord Almighty means Yahweh Sabaoth. Next slide, please. This is actually English translation. Yahweh, you see it on the far left, there's Yahweh. Sabaoth. Sabaoth. It means commander and chief of the cherubim. Commander-in-chief of the cherubim. I'll say it a third time because your, your, your faces aren't impressed yet. Do you know what a cherub is? A cherub isn't a fat little baby with a bow. That was, I believe, very specifically by Satan in Renaissance areas to blaspheme his own kind. Satan himself is a guardian cherub. A cherub is the most ferocious creature God has ever told us he's created. At the sight of a cherub, one thing happens to anybody who ever sees one. I don't care how great you are, how meek you are, the same thing happens. You fall on your face, you lose control of your bowels, you pray that he's not going to kill you, and you want to start worshiping for, for deliverance. How can you tell a non-fallen cherub or angel, a demon, versus a, a godly one, an angel? It's in this. An angel will always say, stop, get up, do not worship me, worship Yahweh alone. A demon will accept 
worship and praise. Then you say, come on, money. Demons. Yeah, demons. Remember a third of the heavenly realm before our existence? They rebelled against God? Against everything in the movie Shea, against all the stuff we actually get proclaimed, where do demons live? They don't live in hell. Hell's going to be their punishment, the same as those that reject God. Do you know where demons live? Right here on earth. Always have. 4,000, 5,000, 10,000 years ago. Today, demons reside here. It's the only place. Thank God we, we, we have God on our side. Right? A cherub, commander in chief of the cherubim, it'll take four of these creatures to destroy all of the, the cosmos at the end of the days. When you find them, it took four to guard the four entrances to the garden to prevent Adam and Eve from going back in, eat from the tree of life, and live forever in their sinful state. Yahweh Sabaot, commander in chief of the cherubim, is that not exciting? Is that not show the power and might? That's why it was David's favorite word for Yahweh. It's also one of mine. That's the God I get to say his name. That's the God I love. That's the God, that powerful, that has that much power within him. Everything he is, he's going to be for me. Beautiful words. This is actually from 2 Samuel. He and his men sent out from Baal, this is David, of Judah, to bring out from there the ark of God, which is called by the name, the name Yahweh Sabaoth, who is enthroned between the cherubim on the ark. Do you remember when God, when they were going to set up the temple, and God had all the things made, all the different pieces for the tabernacle? Do you remember what it said? Those things had to be built exactly right. Because they're an exact representation of what happens in the heavens. The Ark of the Covenant on top of it has a Bema seat, a judgment seat, where Yahweh sits. Above him are two guardian cherubs, Lucifer, Satan, which was one at one time, Michael, later replaced by Gabriel. They're guardian cherubs overarching. They're bringing that up, and that's what David's saying. It's the Ark Yahweh Sabaot is enthroned between that. Then Isaiah says, I am Yahweh, that is my name. I will not yield my glory to another or my praise to idols. No other name, I am Yahweh. My glory, no other name will you know me by? That's my name. So it doesn't matter how much you don't want to think you're not going to say it. Just simply by not saying Yahweh doesn't mean you're not going to blaspheme me. You can easily blaspheme me by your actions, by claiming to be a follower of me and not living accordingly, by not holding true to your word in other areas. You don't have to blaspheme things by saying it. So it's like the Jews' idea was idea. If you never said the word, you can't, you know, can't misuse it. That's childish. 
I don't blame songwriters for not using the name Yahweh. I don't blame I blame pastors. We've done a bad job of explaining this well. We've done a bad job not going to more publishers and saying, you know what? Yes, you might have some influence. You may not have some people that don't want to read it. Start doing it right. The Holman Bible and the Web translations both actually have started saying Yahweh and doing this correctly. They're not holding back and you know, substituting the Lord in there. Because it's so important. We've been talking a lot about the Old Testament. We're in the New Testament, we're in, the, in the New Testament age. Back when my grandfather went to Multnomah, back in the uh, 40s and 50s, um, back then, it was taught that the New Testament was actually um, written in what's called Holy Ghost Greek. Because it wasn't classical Greek, it was Greek they hadn't seen anywhere else, and so they named it Holy Ghost Greek. It's just, it was a special Greek just for the Bible, is what they were saying. And they taught that for a couple hundred years. Thankfully, the discoveries that started in the 1920s, 30s, 40s, 50s, and throughout in Qumran, in Egypt, and Alexandria, they started getting these libraries. They were starting to actually excavate. And they started finding these big libraries, and they realized it's the exact opposite. It's not a special Holy Ghost Greek just for the Bible. Instead, it's called Koine. It's the common. It's not the highfalutin classical Greek. But it's koine of the common people. That is what our Bible is written in the New Testament. The common language. King James was written in Elizabethan English, so the time was kind of the high language. But all the newer translations don't do that because nowhere in Hebrew or in koine Greek are there special pronouns for God's name. So most of your translations, the NIV and the other translations, have gotten rid of the these and the thous because there's not, specially, not supposed to be special pronouns for God. Yahweh is the best, rather than a pronoun, just Yahweh is his name. But it's Koine Greek. This is when Jesus came to earth. Jesus came, 331 B.C. approximately, Alexander the Great started conquering the known world. And what he did is he Hellenized Greek became the common language of the known world, the language of commerce. That's when Jesus came in. Outside of Babel, Tower of Babel, when God confused the languages because the people refused to spread out throughout the world, he confused their languages, forced them to spread out. Not since that time has there been close to a common language. Koine Greek was it. Greek was the language of the people. This is when Jesus came. And not only that, when he came... There's always been a kind of verse that used to bother me when I was younger. Is Philippians 1. It says, For I am not ashamed of the gospel of Christ, for it's the power of God for salvation, for the Jew first and also for the Greek. And I thought, time out. Why the Jew first? And the point is, Jesus was a Jew. Do you know another part of that Jew first? That we're grafted into, the promises to the Jew we're grafted into is the church. And this is no mistake. The name Yahweh, Y-H-W-H, cannot be written in, in Greek. It doesn't exist. 
Greek has no Y. Greek has no H. Has no W. It can't be written. It's impossible. The only way you can know the name Yahweh is you have to say the Hebrew word, Yahweh. You can't say it in Greek because we have what's called transliterations. Baptizo is a Greek word. We, use, we get the word Baptist from it. That's called the transliteration. We take the equal letters from one language and the equal letters of another. That's transliteration. You can't transliterate what you don't have letters for. Right? The only way you can know Yahweh is to say the Hebrew name for the Jew first and also for the Greek. The Greek comes to Christ through the Hebrews. Even, this is from John, this is John, even after Jesus had performed so many signs in their presence, they still would not believe in him. This was to fulfill the word of Isaiah the prophet, Lord, who has believed our message, or to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For this reason they could not believe, because, as Isaiah says elsewhere, he has blinded their eyes and hardened their hearts, so they can neither see with their eyes, nor understand with their hearts, nor turn, and I would heal them. Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Any lights just come on? Isaiah said this because he saw Jesus' glory and spoke about him. Let's quick look, let's quick look at Isaiah. Isaiah 6. In the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on the throne. The train of his robe filled the temple. Above him were seraphim, other kind of angels, each with six wings, with two they covered their faces, with two they covered their feet, and two they were flying. They were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is Yahweh Sabaoth. The whole earth is full of his glory. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the tre- thresholds shook. The temple was filled with smoke. Woe to me! I cried, for I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I live among a people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the king, Yahweh Sabaoth. This is what John just quoted. Jesus is Yahweh. Paul, as he's writing to the Philippians, he says this. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who, being in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. 
Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in human likeness, and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. Therefore God exalted him and gave to him the highest place, gave to him the name that is above every other name. That at the name of Jesus every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue acknowledge Jesus Christ as Lord to the glory of God the Father. Any other lights come on there? What is the name above every other name? Was Jesus given the name Jesus on the eighth day? By his father? Earthly father, Joseph? So is Jesus a new name bestowed on him? What is the name above all other names? It's Yahweh. And you know what? You don't speak Greek. At the time that Jesus was living, the first century, okay, at that point, all scripture that is quoted by the, by the writers of scripture during that period, especially all the gospels, that when they quote the Old Testament, they're not quoting the Hebrew because they didn't have that then. They actually have what's called the Septuagint. The Septuagint is actually the 70 or the 72. It was back in the 3rd and 4th century B.C., Back when they were trying to get together, you know, this whole Bible, they didn't know how to speak, you know, Hebrew anymore because they were becoming, becoming, you know, Grecianized, Hellenized. At that point, they actually took the Hebrew Bible and the 72, six members of all the 12 tribes. That's how you get the 70, the 72. And they actually translated Hebrew Bible into Greek. And so they actually, at that point, can they write in Greek the name Yahweh? It's impossible. So whenever they did, they simply said, Kurios. Kurios is Lord. Using that same Adonai from earlier, using that. But unlike Hebrew Bible, they still knew it's Yahweh. They simply pronounced Adonai. They still knew it was Yahweh. Now we're into the Greek Bible. There's no way, there's no lowercase and uppercase, you know, Kurios. There's no way of knowing when it's God's name anymore, right? But every single Jew... When he saw Paul write this and read it and heard it, he says, gave him the name that's above every other name. Well, there's only one name above every other name. Therefore, the name of Jesus, every knee shall bow in earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess and acknowledge that Jesus Christ is what? Kurios. Jesus Christ is Yahweh. To the glory of God the Father. Jesus Christ, Jesus Messiah, is Yahweh. Hallelujah, Yahweh. Hallelujah, Yahweh, is actually the normal term. It was only shortened to hallelujah in only the Psalms. Sometimes in sing- songs and singing, sometimes we shorten certain words, you know, for meter and for other reasons. And Hebrew above every other language is a beautiful uh, language that way. It has great way it actually interwives within itself. It's a very poetic language. For me being a non-appreciator of poet, poetry, I truly appreciate Hebrew. But in that, 
Hallelujah is the vast majority of times in Old Testament. Hallelujah is the exception. Even in Psalm, it's only one difference between Hallelujah and Hallelujah But when people say Hallelujah, you can't again. Can they say that in Greek? You can say, kind of do Hallelujah. If you actually look in Revelations, it's Hallelujah. A L L. You ever seen the kind of different way it's spelled? Then U A I A. Hallelujah. That's hallelujah. It's because they can't say hallelujah way. Right? They can't do any of the Yahweh. So that's why you got that shortened version only in four times in Revelation. But do you realize many of the known world today, when they're excited or happy, they'll say hallelujah? Hallelujah way? You don't hear that, but that's the real one. Who cares? False motives are pure. The name Yahweh is being praised. That's what we should be doing. We're followers of Yahweh. Everything he is, he'll be to me. We are grafted in as Gentiles into the name Yahweh, whose follower we are. Everything he is, he will be to us. Proclaim his name boldly. Pray to Yahweh. Know Yahweh. Because that's what he wants to be known by. He has commanded it. It's a name forever. It's going to be known by generation by generation. I'll be known by no other name. I will give my glory to no other name. I am Yahweh. Yahweh, thank you so much that you love us, that you've given us um, the promise that we are your children, crafted in through the Israelites, the Hebrews. Thank you for Jesus. Thank you for his huge sacrifice. Thank you for his love. Thank you that Jesus is Yahweh.